Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the subject of our sin, disease, and death real. We welcome you all. We, we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent in Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And thank you for joining us today. And we will begin with our morning prayer. Since I'm reading this morning uh, briefly from Divinity Course in General Connectania and Science and Health. Page 99 and then 390 and 475. Life understood spiritually is heaven here. Pray God to help you awake to the claims of error and awake to the truth that destroys them. Whenever error would try to make sin, sickness, disease, or death seem real, good overrules it, and it makes them more unreal to us. Good reverses every er evil argument and effort and brings out the opposite good. Suffer no claim of sin or of sickness to grow upon the thought. Dismiss it with an abiding conviction that it is illegitimate because you know that God is no more the author of sickness than he is of sin. Man is incapable of sin, sickness, and death. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, Karen, our watching point. Watch number 121. Watch lest you go from fear to the fear of fear, to the point of being afraid of fear itself. This warning covers a strange phenomena that has arisen in Christian science due to a misapprehension of the right way to handle fear. The scientific way is to expose the fact that you have nothing to fear and nothing to fear with rather than to try to dispose of the fear, believing that if you do not, the fear may result in some unpleasant manifestation. All fear is based on the belief that man has an existence apart from God. Fear is not the result of something, but something is the result of fear. If one does not understand the deception connected with this mesmerism, he may become afraid of being afraid, even after he has sought to establish the fact that evil has no power and is nothing to fear. We must handle fear on the basis of God's ever-present care, as Elisha did in 2 Kings 6, 16, when he declared, quote, They that be with us are more than they that be with them, end quote. This realization opens the way for the next step, namely, to know as a scientific fact that you have nothing against you, since God is all. <clears throat> as you take the footsteps leading to the destruction of fear, it is necessary to watch, lest you give fear power of itself, believing that if you once let it in, it can rob you of the infinite care of God. Sometimes it's helpful to declare, go ahead, mortal mind, and be just as afraid as you want to be, but you cannot touch me or rob me of God's protection and care, nor can you make me believe that I have been so robbed. I am not afraid. I do not believe God has made me capable of being frightened. I am man, and man cannot fear any more than God can. Thank you. <clears throat> Very important watching point. Comments on that? Well, I thought for a long time before coming here that fear, if I had any fear, was going to cause something to happen. And um, <laughs> I'm so grateful that I do. I understand that that's not true. But for a long time, I thought that that was, I have to get rid of the fear or something awful is going to happen. And also that more, I'm understanding more of my unity with God. And 
as my practitioner is reminding me so many times that that's where the fear arises if we think we're separated from God. Um, so anyway, I, I, I love this watching point. It's been very helpful yeah. for me. Yes. Well, and wasn't it Winston Churchill who said, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself? Is that, and I think that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so the, the idea of fearing, um, I mean, we all have moments when we're, you know, fearful of something. But to be afraid of those moments is what's wrong. To accept those moments as something real as something that's going to cause something, as you mentioned, that is what's wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, you know, when it, you're not responsible for what comes to you. What you're responsible for is what you do about it. Yeah. And if you have the allness of God, the gratitude to God in your heart, when something tries to make you fearful, You've got all the ammunition you need to say, no, thank you. Yeah. I'm not going to go there. I have God on my side. And then, and then you have the dominion over it. That is your right and that is your natural state. Well, this is something I definitely wrestled with. Um, and yes, this watching point helped me. Um, also, Big Dal Young says, yeah, to go ahead and fear all you want, just like this watching point does. It can't really do anything to you. No more than a dream. All right. So if you're going to fear and then these horrible things, you know, just like a little child who thinks there's a um, bear under his bed or something, you know, you, you're so afraid of it and you think it's there and you even think you see it. Um well, you're just having a dream. And then I would ask myself, well, why the heck dream that dream? You know, what a waste of time to be dreaming that dream when I can be thinking good thoughts from God. And then ultimately, I realized how disloyal this is to God, because when you fear again, you believe that there is some other power than God. That's the basis of it always. Yes, your separation from him, not knowing your oneness with him. But you believe there's actually some horrible thing out there. That's why you're afraid, whatever it is. Therefore, and this is what I would tell myself, that I was a Satan worshiper, which kind of shocked me. <laughs> it. Because what else would you call that? You believe in, in a devil, right? You believe in some bad thing. Yeah, you're denying God, really. You are. Yeah. So that that's what I, okay. yeah. I was just going to say, that's why, which occurred to me, that's why it's, she says perfect love casteth out fear. It's our perfect love. The more perfect our love is for God, the more fear has no place there. It, it just can't. That's right. The more perfect we forget ourselves and be the expression of God, it's God that's here, which is love that's here. So where is the fear? Love yeah. is powerful. It cast out the fear. Thank you, yes. So, and and now if ever I'm tempted to fear, you know, I, I'll ask myself, well, what, what are you afraid of? I mean, I was once given that assignment years ago to write down what you are afraid of. Now, just by yourself in your own room, you don't have to tell anybody else. What is it? Why are you so afraid? What is it? So write it down. Take a good look at it. And then what does God say about this? Because you have left it in the negative, you see, which Mrs. Eddie says, never leave anything in the negative. So you're afraid mm -hmm. of something. It's right there behind you, chasing you all around all the time. You haven't faced it. You just run from it. So... Finally, you have to face it. Okay, what is it? I'm afraid of such and such happening. And then what does God say? And you keep with the positive. What does God say till this fear leaves you? 
Now, and also, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Go ahead. No, I mean, is there anything that God is not equal to and even more? Is there anything, anything possible that God is not equal to about, way above the supremacy of God again here? I feel it's what helped me. Because sometimes, quite honestly, I didn't even know what I was afraid of. I guess I was afraid of the fear. And it just paralyzing me, you know. But I, the thought that God is here, God is here, God helps me. This is what helped me. I would walk long, long distances and just, just kept knowing, no, God is here, God loves me. And that slowly, I don't know when I stopped fearing so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You know, Mary, what you were just saying, to me, that is handling an error with understanding by writing down whatever you're fearful of or whatever the issue is. And then, you know, God supplies the inspiration, the truth of what is, you know, reality in that situation. I think where you know, Christian scientists fall into to trouble is when they just declare there is no fear, there is no sin, there, but they don't handle it. That's when you look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And yep. that's why they've gotten such a bad name. That's right. They just, they, they, the church has just not um, taught them the proper way to look at, uh, you know, she, Mrs. Eddie says, you know, you have to understand the operation of evil and error to cast it out as, as nothing, not to ignore it and just say it doesn't exist. Such a clear distinction here. Thank you. Absolutely. No, that's right. Because until you learn to actually handle animal magnetism, which apparently is not taught very well, in most places, till you actually learn to handle animal magnetism, it's kind of hard to practice Christian science. Right. <laughs> it can't be practiced without it. And and you'll always be running. You'll always be running from this, you know, because you haven't handled it. You've left things in the negative, and so it'll build up, and then you seem to to see what you fear. <laughs> it's a mirage, but you'll seem to to see your fear. That's why I say you're, you're dreaming. It's the Adam dream until you stop and wake yourself up and stop it. Um, and most important that you do this or you, you'll never have any peace. Uh, one of the articles Carrie sent me this week was called handling the serpent by a JRH 1903 sentinel throughout the entire scriptures, the serpent is used as a symbol of all that is wrong in human consciousness, and the command has always been to handle the serpent of deception with the understanding of truth, and finally destroy it in all its forms. When we reach that stage in our growth of experience set forth in Revelation, we will not only have handled the serpent of suggestions and deceptions, but we will then be able to see that old dragon, the devil, cast out of our consciousness. So handling is not running from it. It's not ignoring it. It's, it's handling it. And, and as Tony was saying, you handle it with the understanding. And you understand that God's allness precludes there any suggestion of anything other than the presence and power of God. And where is it destroyed? In your own thought, in consciousness. In your consciousness. Yeah. Don't look to your body to see if it's been destroyed yet. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Stop peeking. (laughs) Don't look to your body. You don't look to your bank account. You don't look, you know, you don't look to your material accompaniments, if you will, to see if it, it will be destroyed when it's destroyed in your own thought. When you have gotten, when you have actually destroyed the fear and you are at peace with God, that's when it's destroyed. 
And this is why Mrs. Eddy and her household, the first watch, the 9 a.m. watch, was devoted always to handling fear. Because you can't rush off in your day with all this unhandled fear nagling you. You've got to smash it and rise above it. And Mrs. Eddy could not work in a household where fear was. So all the workers had to clear it from their thought. And the only way to do it is with the allness of God, the scientific statement of being. There is nothing else. Nothing else. And as you handle it more normally and naturally as it comes up during the day, it won't grow on your consciousness. And finally, you're just on your back. <laughs> I get out of bed because oh my gosh, everything is awful, and I'm I just can't deal with a thing. As soon as I put my foot down, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So, well, I just wanted to say I love that thought that we have nothing to fear with. At least you know the statements yes. like paste is animal magnetism and stuff. These are good things to remember. So if you Mm-hmm. I'm already in the wrong place. Yes. Just stop. Rushing is an indication of fearing. You're rushing here, rushing there. Um, <laughs> that is greatly going of, of mind. Lawrence? You're running away from what you're fearful of. It's rushing, 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 doing yes. something. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're not getting rid of it. So if people turn on the TV and get absorbed mm-hmm. in that, or they go shopping all day, or they bury themselves in their work so they don't have to come home and face their wife <laughs> or whatever it is. It's, or their husband. Or their husband <laughs> or, or, or their children or their whatever it is that's upsetting them. Mm-hmm. Do that. Stop running. And that that wonderful story I've told many times about the man who was being chased by the devil mm-hmm. was running, 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 running. And finally, the devil caught up with him, and the man said, oh, no, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? And his answer was, I don't know. This is your dream. I don't know. (laughs) This is your dream. Okay? And so it is. So what is your dream? What are you dreaming? What are you afraid of? Get rid of it. Stop dreaming the dream. All right. Now, today, I want to start. The subject is our sin disease and death real, but I want to start with um, Shardell's contribution that she sent to me. Oh, yeah. Actually, I started to think about this, and did it didn't seem we didn't get to that part in the Bible study, but the uh, in, in Revelation in chapter twenty-two, two and three, there's a citation about the healing of the nations in the midst of the street of it. On either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, etc. And then in science and health, but when it was showed up in science and health, I thought, I got to say something about this. Uh, the, may I read that part? That, okay. It's 406, uh, 1 to 6. The Bible contains the recipe for all healing. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Sin and sickness are both healed by the same principle. The tree is typical of man's divine principle, which is equal to every emergency, offering full salvation from sin, sickness, and death. And then uh, it's in, in Acts 17 also. Uh, neither is worship um, with man's hands as though he needed anything. Uh, seeing he, uh, sorry, giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth. I just love that. And if we seek the Lord. And I, I've read about this before and I really like it. But it's everywhere. It's in Revelation. It's in Acts. It's in Mrs. Eddie. She knew it. And and does anyone know why I wanted to start with this this morning? I'm sorry. Do you know why I wanted to start with this this morning? Oh, uh, why did you? 
Probably because of what's going on in the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Thank, because you. Of thank that. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I, uh, yes. Now, then when I revised it, I thought I, I really had to because of what it was happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. No, it was a good thing to pick out and it was timely for right now because what else can we do or know except this? Well, what else? Yeah. I mean, wars, mm-hmm. as we talked about, they don't really stop. <laughs> Thing. They don't get rid of all the hate. I, I'm still, I still don't understand what all the fighting is about, and I don't perhaps even really want to know. But there's been fighting going on for what centuries, and breaks out and this animosity, and um, so the healing of the nations. It's the Christ truth, and we just lay that blanket of love over it. And what you read, yes, that we're all of one blood. We're all brothers and sisters. And it was in the watch last night, too, our unity watch. God is universal, confined to no spot, defined by no dogma, appropriated by no sect. No more to one than to all is God demonstrable as divine life, truth, and love. And his people are they that reflect him, that reflect Mary Baker Eddy. So... The best thing that we can do about all of this is to do that, (laughs) stay in that. And no, no division amongst people. We love each other. No fighting and warring amongst any anyone. All of this fighting and warring that seems to go on um, does not have to be. So I'll be reading article, Martha Wilcox's article on war yesterday when I found this out. And just the beginning of her article mentions just this quote from X. And um, it's a really good article. It's a long one. So I didn't get, you know, maybe a page and a half. But there's so many good points in there to help with this. It's really good. Thank you. Yes, I have assigned that to people actually this past few weeks. This Martha Wilcox article war. It is a very good one. And she wrote that, I believe it was during World War II. A lot of our, our good workers, Peter V. Ross, all of them, they write about this because they were in the midst of it and they had to overcome the belief of it. But how much better that we do this work preventative, preventative. And this is where we have to stay awake and alert just because you know, maybe things seem relatively okay in America. I say relatively. <laughs> doesn't mean that we have to stay ahead of the game and keep working and watching and praying. And when things come up, wherever they come up in the news, in your own thought, you don't leave it in the negative. You handle it. You know the truth about it. We'll never know all the things we prevented or forestalled. Um, you know, they keep saying, well, this is supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen. Well, a lot of these things have not happened. And this is why we work, you know, about the nameless nothing and all this stuff. Here, autumn is such a beautiful time of year. We have such beautiful autumn day to day. We're not going to accept these lies. Um, and it's in this week's lesson. Are sin, disease, and death real? Well, no, they are not. <laughs> so, and we have a lot of great things to talk about still. So we will start. Um, Nancy, you read the golden text, Nancy, in New Jersey, and what you wrote about salvation. Okay. Uh, Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And Mrs. Eddy's beautiful definition of salvation in Science and Health. Life, truth, and love understood and demonstrated as supreme over all. Sin, sickness, and death destroyed. And from a commentary, uh, Knowing Jesus, when we are led and guided by his eternal light, the light of his love floods our souls with the divine light of a heavenly birth so that he dispels all darkness comforts all sorrows, calms our fears, and guides us into the path of righteousness and truth. 
is not only our light and salvation, but he is our light and life, our strength and peace, our salvation and our God. There is nothing in heaven or earth, visible or invisible, that should disturb our hearts or cause us to be afraid. For he is the omnipotent creator and all the strength of our lives and the illumination of our path derives directly from him. We should rejoice in the God of our salvation who has brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. And Mrs. Eddy writes uh, in Prose Works uh, message from 1901, Theoretically and practically, man's salvation comes through the riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. Divine love spans the dark passage of sin, disease, and death with Christ's righteousness. The atonement of Christ whereby good destroys evil and the victory over sin, disease, and death is won after the pattern of the mount. This is working out our own salvation. For God worketh with us until there shall be nothing left to perish or to be punished, and we emerge gently into life everlasting. This is what the scriptures demand, faith according to works. Thank you. You're welcome. Very beautiful. And again, this wipes out this belief of, of fear. Um, there's nothing in heaven or earth, visible or invisible, that should disturb our hearts or cause us to be afraid because of God's omnipotence. So we can look in the face of a seeming error and, yes, tell it, <laughs> get thee behind me, yes, or the hell you say, <laughs> don't, mess with, don't mess with me, don't mess with me and mean it. Yeah. And it will flee from you when you mean it. You can't dilly-dally around with it. This is where the toughness and strength come in. Can't be a mushball. Um, and Carrie sent two beautiful articles. One particularly, this Ella Hogue writes such beautiful articles. This is from the mm-hmm. 1922 issue of the journal, and I'd like this on the carousel because I won't have time to get into all of it, but it's called A Plea for Joy. And... That idea, therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And she makes the point. After Jesus had been talking to his disciples of the necessity of their abiding in him. Remember to abide in him, stay in the father's house. Living close to his teachings. Yet obey the Sermon on the Mount and keeping the commandments he had given them, even as he had kept the father's commandments. He went on to say, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. When he thus referred to joy, he touched upon one of the most important factors in successful work of any kind and manifestly of that which pertains to spiritual accomplishment. Without the element of joy, any work would finally become spiritless, wearisome, unsuccessful. Joyless work always lacks spontaneity of right activity and must finally die of its own inanition. In action? Maybe it's a misspell. Yeah, in action. Okay. And then it said, a wise writer once said, when we speak of joy, it is not something we are after. Now, remember this, because everybody, what is pursuit of happiness here? It's not something we are after, but something that will come to us when we are after God and our duty. So joy is always a reward. It never comes unearned. And with joy, just as when we get rid of fear, when you get when you get joy, this is how healing comes. It's really hard to feel sick when you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to feel loving when you're full of fear. 
that's why you have to ask yourself what's motivating yourself. You know, sometimes mothers, when they get so fearful for their children, they think it's love. But if it's fear, it's not love. It's got to really be the love of God. And that is without fear. So test yourself on these issues. And it's also why I always think the, the first watching point that Gilbert Carpenter wrote handles what? Joy. Yes. Joy. Says you can't do anything without your joy. First rise up. First rise up. If you're swimming under an ice, icy lake, you can't just keep swimming under there. You got to rise up. So, and I think, go ahead. I think Christ says uh, the law of right feeling also addresses this that no matter what, joy is always present because it's of God and it's for us to feel. Yes, so, it is. Yeah. Thank you. And then, and then while this is all true, joy at the same time must be cherished very diligently or it will seem to fly away. It cannot abide within gratitude. So, you know, people who tell me, oh, they're just out of sorts or they're depressed. Well, that did not just happen, folks. You let it go by your thinking and ungrateful thinking, most usually. Like all spiritual qualities, it must be loved and appreciated, or one will not be aware of its presence. Joy is also a childlike quality. Who has not been charmed with the spontaneous joyfulness of little children? So if you've lost your joy, you haven't been grateful for it, and you haven't nurtured it, and you've let it go. You've, You've left things in the negative. You've been... Ultimately disobedient. You're thinking there's a power other than God. And all these things will make you feel not so great. <laughs> Sin disease. <laughs> okay. And then, like other spiritual good, joy's greatest enemy is selfishness. So when the devil comes to you and tries to persuade you, to make a reality of something that is ungodlike. And and that's all the devil can do. It it can't actually make you do something. It can only persuade you to make a reality out of something that is wrong. So that's why you you know you have to be in tune to what is right. You have to study the lesson each morning. You have to start out with an understanding, or at least a a little bit of an understanding of who and what God is, and be grateful for what God has done for you. And if you have that in your thought, then when the devil comes to you and tries to persuade you to make a reality of something that is ungodlike, you'll be on guard, and you won't let it happen. If you let it happen, it will take your joy, for sure. And when that happens, that should be a sign that you've let something in that isn't right. I think also owning the mind of Christ, you know, you said it the other day, you know, the morning, the treatment for every day, for example, where the emphasis is on owning the mind of Christ, because with that mind of Christ, that can scarcely be mesmerized. We are mesmerized because we are always in the wrong mind. So I think it's important practice to continually own this mind of Christ, which is, you know, the divine mind. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. And that's why we start the day with God is mind. God is my mind. God is the only pure and perfect mind. Ultimately, there is no mind to be mesmerized. There's no mind to fear. There's nothing. If we get in that right mind, then you're impervious to all these suggestions. And it's wonderful. And in that mind is love and gratitude and and all the divine qualities that are ours by divine right. And the last thing that this article brings out is that There's one place where we're not so quick to encourage the presence of joy. When James tells us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Okay, and we talk about that a lot, too. One of the best things that you can do when you're 
tempted or you're not feeling good or is to claim your joy. I'm happy now. This isn't going to defeat me. Because <laughs> where are you going to start? Everybody right. waits till you feel better. Well, six months from yeah. now, maybe maybe you will. Maybe you won't. <laughs> but if you get on it right away, you lift will. Your spirit moves your, your thought and it makes you. Yes. Just a great feeling. That's why it's always good, you know, to to to. Um, Tell jokes or watch funny movies or. Sure. I always told my kids because I did it myself that if they're not feeling right or they're sad or what, go do something nice for somebody and it, you'll ah, feel great. You will. That's right. It works every time because joy cannot exist by itself. It requires sharing it. So, what do you call a female hippie? A mystic. <laughs> now Donna from Oregon told that to me. So. <laughs> Wait, I couldn't hear the punchline. Say it again. Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. Oh. Mississippi. Mississippi. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Alabama. <laughs> oh my. All right. So. Um, one thing that was very important to this week, and this was a article that dear Louise sent, and it was called Curing Versus Healing, and it was by um, Clarence Chadwick, who was one of the early good work as well, has written some very wonderful articles from a 1907 issue of the journal. It's, it's a long one. So I can't get into it too much, but another one that we definitely will put on line so you all can read it for yourselves. And she compared it to that other really, really good article, Healing as Practiced by Jesus by Samuel Greenwood. They're very similar. She, In this article, it just brings out that the Christian science heals sin as well as sickness. And the sin is very important that it be healed, right? you got to get to the root of things and cast it out. And it goes over and over um, that in this article. Sooner or later, it must be seen that health is not obtainable from matter, nor is it any, in any way dependent on it. It is a moral and spiritual state of consciousness. It is a moral and spiritual state of consciousness. Health. That's why you can't look to your body to see if you're healthy. So, and this is why these, this, you know, this hatred you have for someone or jealousy you're harboring and maybe you think no one knows about it. Well, God knows and it's making you sick. Exactly. And we learn that this hatred or jealousy or whatever else is bothering you is no more true than the physical manifestation. They're both not the truth about you, but you've got to cast it, it out. You yeah. do. You cannot play with it. It's not your friend. I don't care how justified you are in hating someone or how justified you are at feeling jealous because your lot in life is just miserable and that person is everything in the world. Well, <laughs> who knows about that? <laughs> but if that's what you're thinking and harboring, well, these things, if you don't catch them initially, they'll end up your body isn't going to feel so hot. So cast it out early on, be alert, be awake, and don't allow it. So it's a wonderful curing versus healing. And Jesus healed and over and over. He was casting out sin, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in the lesson, it's so important, <clears throat> last part, um, the 390 to 393, those are command statements we were taught years ago. Um, and, and you use it, you suffer no claim of sin or sickness to grow upon the thought. Are you? You have divine authority for healing the sick. So why aren't you? Dismiss it with a abiding conviction that is, it is illegitimate. That's any claim that's growing upon your thought. Dismiss it. 
Instead of blind and calm submission to the incipient or advanced stages of disease, rise in rebellion against them. Take antagonistic grounds. It goes on. You should have a textbook of science and health in which you write in it and you we were taught years ago, you underline all those command statements. This isn't something you just think about, oh, gee, this is nice. You've got to do this all day long, and you've got to mean it. They're not suggestions. They're command statements, and they're wonderful. And if you, obedient, if you obey them with your whole heart, it works, right? Yes. And the reason it works is because it's the truth. This is how we prove the truth for ourselves. We don't inherit it. We don't get it from a classroom. We get it by proving it to ourselves. And we all have the right and the ability to prove All of us. Nobody is left out of this classroom here. <laughs> God God's is, classroom. God has made you capable of this, and nothing can vitiate the ability and power divinely bestowed upon you. Stand porter at the door of thought. Shut out unhealthy thoughts and fears. Forbid the entrance of anything ungodlike. So, do it, and you'll feel happy. And you'll have success in your work. And you will be being loyal to your father. This is loyalty to God. Have lo Be loyal to God. Why, why would you sit and listen to this other stuff? That's totally, it's totally disloyal to God. It's also loyal to your leader. And it's also loyal to mankind. So, yes, you're not to forget or neglect your duty to God, to your leader, and to mankind. And this, this <laughs> what Mary just read, is our duty. It is our duty. It it's is not an duty. option. It's our duty. And, and if you want to be a Christian scientist, you've got to be doing these things. And even if it doesn't seem to work at first, you know, Mrs. Evans would tell us, Took you a long time to get into this situation. It might take you a while to get out of it. So just shut up and keep sawing wood. <laughs> don't give in. Don't get discouraged. Keep your joy. Keep working. And don't, no backsliding. If you, have, if you don't get to work at all, you go to sleep and you just come under it. Yeah. Like a contagion. You do. Right. And then, and then you're just listening to what everyone else says and falling down under it. Yes, thank you. So now we have some a uh, couple beautiful things from Karen from the lesson. Okay, I was um, <clears throat> on the Paul, uh, the story of Paul on the storm or you know the ship from McLaren's exposition. He says, Paul's designation of the heavenly messenger as an angel of, God, of the God whose I am, whom also I serve, recalls Jonah's confession of faith, but far surpasses it in the sense of belonging to God and in the ardor of submission and of active obedience expressed in it. What Paul said to the Corinthians he realized for himself, ye are not your own, for ye were bought with a price. Unquote. To recognize that we are God's, joyfully to yield ourselves to him, and with all the forces of our natures to serve him, is to bring his angel to our sides in every hour of tempest and peril, and to receive assurance that nothing shall by any means harm us. To yield ourselves to be God's is to make God ours. It was because Paul owned that he belonged to God <clears throat> and served him that the angel came to him and he explained the vision to his hearers by his relation to God. 
excuse me, anything was possible rather than that his God should leave him unhelped at such an hour of need. And then because um, the 91st Psalm, parts of it were in our lesson, I love this map. Oh, excuse me. Stop, because I want to talk about that. That, Okay, okay. (laughs) Thank you, then I'll let you go ahead. Um, I love that. That in, in this week's lesson, for there stood me, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Can you say that? You should be able to say that. And that is your loyalty, your steadfast loyalty to God. And that's why Paul overcame all these difficulties in this lesson this week. There's a man under authority. Yes. Mm-hmm. But think about it, that angel of God, who I belong to and who I serve, are one loyalty. You know, when you see someone obeying someone they have total loyalty to, their slightest wishes, like a threat to them, as my father would say, <laughs> say that about my mother. Your slightest wish is like a threat to me. No, your, your slightest wish is I will do it, whatever, whatever, I will do it. So take that statement, it's powerful, and use it for yourself and know it to be true and then feel that the angel of God's presence with you, which leads us to the next. Okay, go ahead, Karen. Okay, so I took um, verses 11 and 12 from, I mean, I didn't, well, I took out of the articles I've listened to and in our lesson, articles, verses 11 and 12, where the psalm says, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And then um, what this nap says about those two verses, this is another lovely promise. Read it again and again. Nothing could be more exquisite. He shall give his angels charge over thee. This is meant for you and me. Make this promise the subject of your thought every day for a month. Think about it. Realize it. Charge over thee. Think of this promise. Charge over thee. And your entire life will be changed. You will be uplifted. You are in charge of angels and will be safe, guarded in all ways, health, food, clothing, all the necessities of life, kept from fear of all kind, danger of all kind, a wonderful promise, a thought to keep one smiling, happy, well, strong, vital, young, day in and day out for the rest of your life. And then the last three. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, just see how wonderful that is. That is an amazing, dear Bliss Knapp. And this this article is on our website, and Karen has recorded it in audio. But that, that to me, these are the best citations she chose from them because it's powerful, um, powerful to be dwell on these things, dwell on these things. Don't be thinking of all the things you're afraid of. Good grief. Dwell on this, what God is doing for you. This is how to keep yourself all those ways, happy, healthy, all all that you need. Okay, go ahead, Karen. Okay, and then the last three verses that are in our lesson. <clears throat> because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And then Blissnap says, This is a definite statement that you are to be delivered from your difficulty. And because you have set your love upon God and he upon you, no harm of any kind can molest you. I will deliver him. Why? Because he has set his love upon me. Demonstrate and prove this in your life. 
decline out of loyalty to God, to accept anything less for yourself, then he will come to your aid. Thus we see that when we have, through prayer, attained a real appreciation of the allness of God, our trouble disappears. There we are. That is so beautiful. And those last three verses, I've been assigning those lately, too. They were in a watch recently. And I, I love that decline out of loyalty to God to accept yeah. anything less for yourself. <clears throat> then he will come to your aid. So your loyalty to God. So Eris starts whispering, I'm not listening to you. Why the heck should I listen to you? You've never done anything good for me. <laughs> I'm listening to God. Get back to your wonderful statements of truth. 390 to 393, the 91st Psalm. So thank you, Karen. That was beautiful. All right. Now end with something beautiful as well. This is from an article in the 1902 Sentinel entitled Rejoice Always by also Lillian. From, also from Carrie. Go ahead. From Lillian Butterfield, sent to us by Carrie. It, she writes, the scriptures admonish us over and over again to rejoice always. And as scientists, we have found the practical value of a joyful spirit. We have found that as we overcome our own errors of doubt and anxiety, we are able to rejoice. Not simply to rejoice over the particular error, but to have a joyful heart, a spirit of thankfulness. David says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. These are the gates of heaven and the courts of the holy city the abiding place of God. And it is only as we have the spirit of praise and thanksgiving that we are able to enter. In proportion as we rejoice and give thanks are the gates opened, the heavenly kingdom revealed to us. The courts become our home and we are at rest in infinite love. Isaiah says, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. How blind and perverse have we been, our eyes closed to the beauties that were ours for the taking. What joy, what a beautiful thought. No more anxious days, no more weary nights, but beautiful, joyful days, restful, peaceful nights. And why? because we are beginning to understand God aright, to know that we are his children, that he careth for us, that the unsearchable riches of God are ours, beginning to know that we cannot be separated from him, beginning to realize the fullness of joy in his presence. With joy are we drawing water from the wells of salvation, with thanksgiving entering his gates, and with praise his courts. How beautiful. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. 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 Thank you.